uh, I trust and believe that you have a word for each of us. And I just simply pray that you would give me your words and Ruach, that you would take over this message and speak to each of our hearts in a way that doesn't just bring encouragement, but that it would bring transformation in our life. And I pray that in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right, so I am continuing to prepare for Shavuot, as all of you are, and as we continue, we've been in the series, and the title of the series, real quick, Robin, I have two pictures at the very, very end, so don't bring them up until I cue you, if that's okay, and just make sure the first one is the black and white one, and if you have questions, Randy can help you. I just didn't want that up early, sorry. So the series was entitled, um, Missing, Where Has the Ruach Gone? And Rabbi Michael began our series with his message called, A Stolen Inheritance. He spoke about the promise of the Ruach, his nature, his purpose, and his identity. Last week, Rabbi Carol spoke on her message entitled, Clues in the Attic. And she spoke on expectation and how to prepare ourselves as we wait. And this week, the title of my message is Found, Reconnecting to the Ruach. And my focus comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. So chapter 1, verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Ruach comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what does it mean to receive power? Power is defined as the ability to act in a certain way or the ability to do something. And what does it mean to witness or to be a witness? It is the capacity to influence behavior of others and the capacity to influence the course of events. It also means to be a person who gives evidence and proof. So what Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is saying is that we will receive the ability to influence others and the course of events and provide evidence and proof for the truth that we know when we walk connected to the Ruach. You see, the life that we're called to live is a life where we are connected with the person of the Ruach. And that allows him to empower our lives so that we can bring change and transformation to the lives of others. The Ruach enables us to live with a kingdom mentality and allows us to be useful and effective. Without the Ruach, we have a lot of good intentions and we mean well, but oftentimes we fall short when we try and do it in our own power and our own strength. So I want to talk about the Talmudim and others who followed Yeshua when Yeshua was here on earth. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I'm reading the scriptures, I was like, well, they walked with Yeshua. If Yeshua was here in the person, and he was here in the flesh, well, my life would be a little different. Maybe I would be able to do the things that they did and have the faith that they had and do the miracles that they performed, and they had an advantage over us because Yeshua was with them talking with them, eating with them, spending time with them, teaching them directly. But was that really the case? Were they better when Yeshua was here with them? Because in fact, when you go through the account of the Besorah and the Gospels, we often find that they were fearful They were fruitless, they were faithless, and they frequently failed or faltered. Say that five times fast. Fearful, fruitless, faithless, and they frequently faltered, losing their own strength in order to do what they were commanded to do. So the first thing, fearful. Fear was so common for them. It was a common characteristic of the the Talmudim, and I'm just going to give you a few examples. 
I have lots of scriptures here, nothing on the PowerPoint. Most of this is familiar with you, but it points a picture. When they were on the boat and confronted by the storm, Matthew 8, 23. It says, as he got into the boat, the disciples followed him. Suddenly a great storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being covered by the waves. But Yeshua kept on sleeping. So they came and woke him up saying, Master, save us, we're perishing. And Yeshua said to them, why are you afraid? They literally had Yeshua there on the boat with them, sleeping, and yet their initial reaction was fear. When Peter was walking on water, Matthew 14, 22, right? Yeshua was there walking on the water. It says, uh, picking up in verse 25, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Yeshua came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried out. But then jumping down to verse 28, Peter said to him, Master, if it's you, command me to come on the water. And Yeshua said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Yeshua. But once seeing the wind, he became terrified. Yeshua is still right there in front of him, in the flesh, in the person, and yet their initial reaction? Fear. When Yeshua was arrested, Matthew 14, 48. It says, Yeshua said to them, meaning those coming for him, have you come out with swords and clubs to capture me as you would against a revolutionary? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But this is so the scriptures would be fulfilled. Verse 50, all of them fled, abandoning him. Why? Fear. Matthew 26, 58, the only person who stayed behind and followed Yeshua was Peter, but at a distance. Fear was common amongst the Talmudim and even others who believed that Yeshua was the Messiah. Joseph, the one who wanted to get Yeshua's body to bury him, this is what it says about him in John 19. After these things, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate if he could take Yeshua's body away. He was a disciple of Yeshua, but secretly for fear of the Judean leaders. Nicodemus, when did he come to Yeshua? At night for fear. And the scriptures go on. In, in John chapter 7, 13, it says, No one spoke openly about Yeshua for fear of the Judean leaders. In Mark chapter 10, it was talking about Yeshua going up ahead of them. And it says they were all amazed, but those who followed him were fearful. So we get the theme, right? Yeshua is there with them, and yet they were fearful, 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 afraid, terrified, petrified. And that fear led them to be faithless. Going back to Peter walking on water, this was Yeshua's response to him as he's sinking. It says, Yeshua immediately reached down his hand and grabbed him, and he said to him, O you of little faith. The same response for the storm, Matthew 8, 26. He said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Matthew 8, 16, 7, this is the context where the, the Tommy Deem forgot to bring bread, and then Yeshua was trying to teach him about the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he says, watch out for the hamets of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they're sitting there, and they don't get it at all. They were like, but we don't have bread. And this is what Yeshua says. In verse 7, it says, the Tommy Deem began to discuss amongst themselves, we didn't bring any bread. But knowing this, Yeshua said, 
O you of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? You still don't get it? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets of leftovers you gathered? Or how about the seven loaves for the 4,000 and all the baskets of leftovers you gathered? How is it that you don't understand that I was talking, what I, that I wasn't talking to you about bread? So there's Yeshua again. How do you not get it? Why don't you understand? You have such little faith. I didn't number my pages. You guys have to bear with me today. He goes on to tell them about his death and resurrection. In Mark chapter 10, he says, Look, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the ruling Kohanim and the Torah scholars. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him, scourge him and kill him, yet after three days he will rise again. That's pretty specific, right? Very clear. So what happens? Yeshua gets arrested. He gets handed over. He dies. He's resurrected. As he already told them. And in six, uh, chapter 16 of Mark, it says of Yeshua's resurrection, after he had risen early on the first day of week, he appeared first to Miriam of Magdala, from whom he had driven out seven demons. She went and brought word to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe. Again, after that, he appeared in a different form to two of them as they were walking on their way to the country. Then they went and reported to the rest, but they did not believe them either. And later he appeared to them, the eleven, as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief. So they walked with Yeshua. Yeshua told them what was going to happen. What he said was going to happen happened, and then they still refused to believe. They lacked faith. And that lack of faith led them to be very fruitless at times. They struggled to produce the evidence as well as show signs of the fruits of the Spirit. They struggled to heal. Matthew 27, 14, When they came to the crown, a man came to Yeshua, falling on his knees before him, saying, Master, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and suffers badly, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your Tamadim, but they could not heal him. And Yeshua's response was, O oh, faithless and twisted generation. And when the disciples later came to Yeshua in private and said, Well, why couldn't we heal him? And his response, he said to them, verse 20, Because you trust so little. Their lack of faith led them to be very fruitless. They couldn't pray. What happened when they went to the garden and Yeshua said, Please stay up and Take watch and pray for me. They stayed up all night fervently praying. Every time Yeshua turned around and came back, what were they doing? Sleeping. They didn't have the, the fruit that they needed or that you would think they would have for walking with Yeshua. This is my favorite. I read this, I think, maybe two or three weeks ago in my devotions. They bickered a lot, the Tommy Dean. Right? So in Luke 22, the disciples bickered over which one of them would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Think about that. You're walking with the Messiah of the universe, and you're fighting about who's going to be greater. They totally didn't get it. Right? 
And here we are, honestly, for me and maybe for you, we think, oh, if only Yeshua would come, then things would be different because I would see him and I would touch him and I would feel him and things would be radically changed. And yet that's exactly what they experience. And they're fighting about who's going to be better in the kingdom of heaven. They're not praying. They're not healing. They completely are petrified and afraid and they don't get it at all. And it gets better. Luke chapter 9. As time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Yeshua set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But when the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem, the people there did not welcome him. So when the disciple, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord... Do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Think about that. Oh, they didn't welcome Yeshua? Let's kill them. No, think about that. Let's call fire down. They weren't talking about the fire of God, right, to spread and to let them know that this is the Messiah because he is your salvation. He's going to change your life. He says, oh, they didn't believe? Why don't you call fire down on them and destroy them? We don't say that, but we say things like, why are you not dealing with my coworker, putting her in her place? Why have you not yet spoken to my husband in this area? Why are you not bopping him on the head? Because they didn't have the fruits of the spirit of grace and saying, wow, these people need redemption. They need their eyes open to the Messiah. Lord, why don't we pray for them? No. They wanted to call fire down on heaven to destroy them. And of course, Yeshua rebuked them. And then they often faltered or failed. By faltering, I mean losing your own strength, right? So my favorite example of this is Peter. I love Peter. Peter was always the one like, I'm going to do this right. He was the one like, you will not wash my feet. Can't have that happen. Yeshua was like, I will wash your feet or you have no part of me. He's like, wash all of me then. You could have the whole everything. So when Yeshua was talking about what was going to happen, what did, what did Peter say? Oh, never. This will never happen. And Yeshua rebuked him and very directly, get behind me, Satan. And Yeshua said, everybody is going to be scattered. And Peter's response? Though all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And I believe Peter meant it. That was his heart, and that's what he wanted to do. He had a desire to stick by Yeshua from anything that was going to happen. And I believe he meant it with all his heart, but when push came to shove in his own strength, Yeshua knew that he was going to falter and fail and told Peter such, you will deny me three times. And what takes place when they arrest Yeshua and Peter's there and the servant girl comes and he's questioned three times? He denies it three times and really denies it. You're not even like, oh, no, no, let me just call curses upon himself to deny it. And then wept bitterly because his heart wanted to be faithful. His heart wanted to succeed. But in his own strength, he couldn't do it. In his own strength, he couldn't do it. But then a transformation takes place. The leadership is reading a book, um, Holy Spirit, are, you f- are we flammable or fireproof? It is Reinhard Bonnke, right, Adeline, the author? And when I mention in Mark 16, right, Yeshua is risen from the dead and the disciples didn't believe. And in that particular chapter, it mentions it three times. They see him, they didn't believe. They were told about him, they didn't believe. You know, when Yeshua came, he rebuked them for their unbelief. So Reinhard Bonnke takes note of how three separate times the scriptures are saying how they were unbelievers in terms of their faith level. And yet, immediately after, in verse 20, it says, And they went out and proclaimed everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word by the signs that follow. 
So verse 18 talks about their unbelief, and verse 20 talks about going out everywhere and the Lord confirming everything to the ends of the earth. And Reinhard Bonnke makes a note and says, well, how did they go from unbelieving, faithless, and fearful to going out everywhere with signs and wonders? And he said the answer is chronologically what took place was Acts chapter 2. They were transformed by the person of the Ruach that they encountered and that they partnered with. And everything about them changed. They became bold in their expression of faith. And they are the reason why we're here today, because they took the message and spread it. And here we are thousands of years later because of what started with a few group of men empowered by the Ruach. Acts chapter 5 says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. From, I don't know why we couldn't heal, to you who trust so little, to streets of people coming out just so that their shadow would fall upon them. Because of the person of the Ruach. They became faithful, boldly proclaiming. They became fruitful. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms. And after Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold to give you. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, rise up and walk. Took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who was always sitting at the gate, always asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what just happened. Because on that day, they were prompted by the person of the Ruach and healing flowed through them. They were fruitful. Acts chapter 2, 3,000 came to faith in one day. Verse 31, so those who received his word were immersed, and those that were added that day, about 3,000 souls. And this is when Peter stood up to address the crowd. In Acts chapter 4, before the Sanhedrin, it talks about many who heard the message believed, and the number of the men that came out came out to about 5,000. The ye of little faith became fruitful for salvation and in signs and wonders and in healings. They were fearless. They spoke before the Sanhedrin, no longer afraid of people and no longer afraid of even those in authority, those that oftentimes would have them lashed and put in prison. Chapter 4, verse 8, it talks about Peter filled with the, I know you guys are awake on me, filled with the Ruach. Why? Because Peter on his own, 
but filled with the Ruach before the Sanhedrin, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Yeshua the Messiah of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom Adonai raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. This Yeshua is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved they didn't go before the Sanhedrin and say I'm just doing a good thing what's the problem if he was healed there's nothing wrong with that you're going to stone me for that they took the truth of who Yeshua was they confronted the leaders in their era they brought the good news of salvation to them and they did it boldly not even worrying about the consequences because of the power of the Ruach living inside of them And they became fortified believers, no longer faltering, no longer with their failures, but strengthened to endure it under the pressure of persecution and even of just the things of life. In Acts chapter 7, we see the story of Stephen. And now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. This is when Stephen was speaking. But he, Stephen, full of the, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Yeshua standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments down at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Yeshua, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them full of the Ruach, endured a stoning, preaching everything that he saw and knew and maintaining forgiveness for those actively killing him. Full of the Ruach. When Paul and Silas were put in jail, what do they do? Singing in jail, praising God in jail. Not woe is me, not why is this happening, praising God in jail. And we all know what happened, right? Immediately the doors were open and everyone, everyone's bonds were unfastened. And Rav Shaul was bit by the viper. Remember what he did? And everybody's waiting for him to die. And he doesn't even give a second thought to it. Shipwrecked, beaten, put in jail. And he could have sat there and said, a snake bite? That's what's going to kill me after all this, Yeshua, after everything that I did? I had to be the one bitten by the snake here, and now I'm going to die? Oh, everybody, please pray for me, right? Like Nothing strengthened. Why? Because they were walking with the power of the Ruach. He threw that snake right into the fire and carried on preaching the good news of Yeshua. They truly exemplified Acts chapter 1 verse 8. They were given great ability through the power of the person of the Ruach. And they were witnesses, not only in their speech, but with the signs and the wonders and the evidence. This is our calling. We're supposed to be walking with the power of the Ruach inside of us. You see, Shavuot, it's not just about coming up here, getting prayer and speaking in tongues and having an oneg, 
eating some food and fellowshipping. And in the book that we were reading, Reinhard Bonnke says, this is not supposed to be a social club. You know, Natalie plays Mahjong, right, Natalie? Natalie will go very faithful Mondays. Is it Mondays? Mondays, every Mondays, Natalie goes and gets together with her girlfriends and they play Mahjong. And that's awesome. And we do things, soccer and karate. But this place should be different than a social club. We shouldn't come here just to fellowship, though we will fellowship. And we shouldn't come here just to eat, though we will eat. And we shouldn't come here just to sing and get refilled for ourselves because we're not here just for social, but we like to be filled ourselves and, and to you know, interact with, with the worship and to have the presence of God who's going to speak into our lives and our situations and, and our struggles and encourage us where we're struggling, where we need to see change. But we're supposed to be filled with the Ruach and take that power to go out and be witnesses. Because our life is supposed to be with a kingdom mentality. On our own, we will fail. But with the power of the person of the Ruach, there are great things that can happen. We're supposed to be fruitful, not fruitless. So at work, I have a coworker. Maybe I'll let her listen to this. I won't mention her name. And she comes to work all the time, and she's like, oh, my stomach. It hurts so bad. I feel like I have gas pains. It's so bad. And I'm like, where are your gas pains? She's like, right here. I said, I had that. It was my gallbladder. I thought it was gas, and then I ended up in the emergency room, and they took my gallbladder out, and it was, like, urgent. And I'm telling you, it's your gallbladder. You should go to the emergency room. That was one day. And then I was like, hmm. So she came back two days later. She's like, oh, it's so bad. I'm like, you better take yourself to the doctor because you're going to end up in emergency surgery one day. You might as well just see if you have gallstones and something going on because I'm telling you, it's the same pain that I had. It doesn't need to radiate. Get yourself to a doctor because it's your gallbladder and you're going to need emergency surgery. It's funny and it's fruitless. Now, should she go to a doctor? Sure. I go to doctors all the time. Does God bless us through, through medicine? Absolutely. But what if I was fruitful and said, and I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray for you. Because the power of God is in me and says that I can heal through him so that maybe you won't have to have surgery. So maybe you won't have to take more time off from work that you don't have. But I didn't. Because on my own, I'll just talk about my gallbladder surgery and how bad it was. And but if I give the opportunity to cooperate, to connect with the person of the Ruach, I've done it before. A coworker came in, oh, I have the worst migraines in the world. Oh, you do? Because I suffered from migraines from years. And I came up for prayer years ago, and Rabbi Michael prayed for me, and I never suffered a migraine again. Can I pray for you? And there I was in the break room, little timid, and I prayed for her. Another coworker years ago, I, don't, I think it was her thyroid, oh, I have a, a lump on my thyroid and we're going for testing. And I said, can I pray for you? And I prayed for her, and the test came back negative. And at, literally after 10 years, she just walked into work the other day, totally fine, no issues. Not coincidence. It's just a difference of whether we're going to cooperate with the person of the Ruach or whether we're going to fly solo on our own. We're called to be fruitful. A lot of times we find ourselves just like Peter. We have good intentions. We want to do things for Yeshua. We want our life to matter. We want to be effective. So we wake up in the morning like me, and I'm like, today is going to be a good day. I'm going to do my devotions. I'm going to let God work through me. It's going to be awesome. And the only thing that I end up doing is the dishes and diapers. And then I'm in front of the TV going, I'm so tired. 
Today was so crazy and I do nothing. And then there's other times when I cooperate with the Ruach and I say, Evan, I'm making dinner plans with one of my coworkers. And I'm going to go and we're going to have dinner, but I'm going to do everything that I can to witness to her. And I took an hour and a half, two hours out of my time, let him put the kids to bed, and I went and I had dinner with my coworker, and I gave her every point that I could about Yeshua being the Messiah. She may not have come to faith that day, but I believe one day that she will. And there are times that I'll just go through my day and just survive because life is so busy and there's so much to do. And then there are other times I say, no, 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 no. We're living in a state that it is okay to abort babies up to 40 weeks. And I'm not okay with that. And Adeline went and we went to a couple meetings and we met with a girl who's a lobbyist and I'm still trying to actively get into Lee Zeldin's office to really see what we could do to change things in the state that we live in. But not in my own strength because there are times I didn't follow up for a month because life is busy and in my own strength I will always fail. But with God's strength there are things that we are called to do that are going to what? Impact and change the course of events and influence people with the power of the Ruach inside of us. When we're fortified by his strength. There are times that we are fearless. I don't know about you, but conversations always come up at work. Politics, religion, this and that, with family. And there are times that me, you, will sit back and maybe we'll share our opinion, but not, not have any really good biblical truths because we know how that goes with our family members. Or we can't talk about it at work because we sign all these stupid policies about what we're allowed to say and different pronouns we're allowed to use and... It's, it's scary sometimes. And more often than not, I can catch myself holding back and just saying, just let them talk. I'm just here to do my work and answer the phones. You have a phone call. You have a phone call. And yet other times, I will deliberately seek out family members and say, me and you need to talk. I had a dream about you. And I'm worried about you. Can we talk about God? They don't like me. They don't like it. And we're called to be faithful and trust God in all situations. You know, finances is a big topic because the congregation is currently struggling. And it's a big topic because we all need money, right? That's how this society runs. And it's a big stress sometimes. So if you know my car was in for repair 1200 and something dollars later, so after I gave my testimony, I think it was last week, went to start my car, and something was wrong with it. It was like I just came home from the mechanic, and there I am. Oh, ye of little faith. And I was like, God, I just paid $1,200 into this car. And I called the mechanic, and he decided he was going to take it in right away because it was right before Memorial Day weekend, so they were off for four days and I wouldn't have had a car. And he fixed all three coils, help me out here, all three coils for like the price of one because he knew I was just in the shop. And God spoke something to me. In that situation, he said, stop viewing the struggles as always something against you and as always something that you need to muster through, but view them as an opportunity for me to show myself strong in your life. So he decided to test me again on that because when I was leaving work yesterday, my car wouldn't start at all. I don't think it's very good, though I did drive it here. But I have a piece about it. And I literally caught myself yesterday saying, okay, God, I'll trust you. And those are little examples because some of us have big things in our lives beyond finances, sicknesses and car accidents and marriages and things that really, really, really need 
a touch from God to bring freedom and change and transformation. But we won't be able to view those things in faith in our own strength. Mom, I didn't check with you before I use you as an example, but I am. You know, my mom, I say, has had the worst year ever. She's in a major car accident. The car flipped and everybody needed to be extricated. She had massive reconstruction and surgery on her shoulder. After that, she had multiple issues with her bladder and urinary tract, which when you can't even walk and take care of yourself is even more uncomfortable. And then added to that, because she refuses to not see our grandchildren, she got a respiratory virus that put her in the hospital where she couldn't even say the ABCs because her breathing was so bad. And then after that, she's been homesick and dizzy. If she moves her head in a certain way, the room just starts spinning. And now it's process of elimination. Is it her ears? Is it neurological? Is it the respiratory virus? And we sent out prayer requests. And more than just changing the situation, the prayer request was for what? For the encouragement. Because these things happen in our life. And in our own strength, it's as if that hopelessness just comes in. But when we have the person of the Ruach to walk alongside of these trials and tribulations, like Rav Shaul, who's bitten by a snake, we could look at the situation and we can shake it off into the fire and we can carry on because of the Ruach living inside of us. And there are situations and circumstances that we go through that God could use as a great witness to those around us when we partner with the Ruach through those situations and circumstances. You see, the purpose of the Ruach is the same for the first century believers as it is for us today. It's the same. The methods may be a little different. Maybe we're not on a field of grass with 3,000 people, but you're on Facebook. You know how many people Facebook can reach? We are called to connect to the person of the Ruach. And in that connection, our lives would be different, changed and transformed. And as a result, the lives of people around us would be different. And God can use every situation that you are walking through, your everyday life, to speak to people around you. I want to give you an illustration of how this can work. I'm on Facebook a little bit too often. Hey, note, we'll cooperate with the Ruach more. This is for me and maybe for you when we can put our phones down. Can't really hear the Ruach talking when you're scrolling through these cat videos. I don't know why they get you, but they always do. But I was on Facebook and uh, a mutual friend of mine that I haven't spoken to in years, except for every once in a while on the computer, posted something. And I didn't really take much note of it. And then she posted again, you know, please pray, miracles needed. And I decided to look at the story and see what she was posting, because she doesn't post often. And I came across this story and I wanted to share with you because, you know, reading the Reinhard Bonnke book, he shared a story that he was in the music shop, just shopping for a piano. And the man came up to him and said, I see a shoe in your face. Or in your eyes, I think he said. And they were just shopping. And right there, they ended up talking to this man, witnessing to him, who became a believer. And years later, when they followed up, he was living strong for the Lord. And when I followed this story, I feel like this is such a current everyday example of how the Ruach empowers us through our life and how you can reach many people. I contacted this person who I don't know, and I asked for her permission to share her story because it's about her little girl. And I don't want to 
I told her this, I don't want to sensationalize or just give you an emotional story for the sake of emotions, but it stuck with me. And I'm going to read it from my notes because I don't want to not get her story right. So um, their last name is Biddy, and she was pregnant, and I saw the little sign, you know, uh, expecting an itty-bitty, get it, itty-bitty, itty because their last name is Biddy, in March of 2019. And that's when, I mean, I went all the way back to the beginning of her story because I really wanted to understand what was going on. So they went to the hospital for an induction, and once they hooked her up to the monitors, the baby's heartbeat wasn't reactive, and my understanding was just dangerously low, and everything just went super fast from there for an emergency C-section, and, and everybody was running around. And uh, her little girl, Carolyn Ray, was born, and she was born fighting for her life. She wasn't breathing. Um, if you're a medical person, she had an APGAR score of one, which means she wasn't doing anything but had a heartbeat and just barely. So they hooked her up to all the machines to get her to breathe artificially. And then they went through a bunch of tests and consults and neurologists coming in to determine what happened. And they don't know the specifics, but something happened while the baby was in the womb that caused her to lose oxygen and left her with a brain injury. And the brain injury was so severe that she couldn't be sustained off of machines that kept her breathing. So she was on machines for an extended period of time. This was like a month or so, not just a, a day or two. And I listened to the message that their pastor there in Georgia, I think they're in Georgia, Atlanta, right? Georgia, um, was sharing. And I'll read the post from the mom. This was after they determined the type of brain injury that she had and that she wouldn't be sustained off of mechanical ventilation. And she wrote, I debated sharing this information or posting this for three days now. I've decided to go ahead because we need prayers now more than ever, and this community has been so passionate in choosing to pray for our family. Carolyn is now on hospice and in the hospital. She is her, a fighter, but her poor body needs rest. We are enjoying every second we have with her, but a billion more days would never be enough. Please, please pray for us. If you've never prayed before, pray. If you don't pray every day, start praying five times a day. Please remember our family every single second that you can. We are begging you and pray specifically for continued comfort for our precious angel and that her journey to her heavenly home is an easy one. They decided to take her off of the ventilation from what I understand of what her pastor said. The pastors were there and they had prepared to do a funeral this Saturday, the week after. Robin, can you do the first picture, the black and white one? That was her post when she was asking for prayer. And I remember, most of you know if you're a little new here, when my brother-in-law passed away because of the brain injury he had from the meningitis. And so I understood what that meant, right? You take them off of the artificial ventilation and they can't breathe on their own because their brain is not supporting that function, which means that they will ultimately die. And this story has stuck with me. It's amazing. I don't know these people at all. And it's, it's gotten to my heart. And I said, these poor parents have to bury their little girl. And somebody wrote on her Facebook page, well, can we pray for healing instead? And I remember thinking, I don't think so. A brain injury is a brain injury.
and I waited, because I don't know them, so the only updates I get is on Facebook. So I started looking for the updates, and all of a sudden, she wrote, three days later, she's breathing now better than she was before. She's breathing better off of the machines than she was before. And then she wrote this post. If you would have asked me while I was pregnant what I wanted for Carolyn's life, I would have told you I wanted her to grow up to be a good person and a light for the Lord. I honestly thought that everything else would have fallen into place. We've been told her prognosis by multiple doctors, but we continue to choose to believe that anything is possible for Carolyn. It doesn't change the fact, though, that her brain injury may lead her to never talk sit up on her own, eat by mouth, or process visual information. While this continues to be devastating to us, and I would do anything to change this, there's one thing that I'm confident that she will do. I'm confident that one day she will welcome people into heaven that she has helped to lead there. And then she wrote, y'all, because they're down south. I want to quote her correctly. Y'all, how can I ever be more proud of her? All of her can'ts don't matter one bit if her can is being an amazing example of God's love for us. On the hard days, I'm clinging to the fact that her life has so much more meaning beyond what we understand. You are an amazing baby girl, and we love you immeasurably. This little baby girl that they planned a funeral for, breathing on her own, and do the next, the next picture, and went home from the hospital. They call her the miracle baby. And if you follow their story, they went to Krispy Kremes the other day <laughs> as a family. Today, I think they went to the market. And though I don't see Yeshua himself in those parents, this is the power of the Spirit of God. Because if you did follow her post, she is the happiest mom on the face of the earth. The prognosis, according to the doctors, is still poor. She is still technically considered on hospice. And yet, the only thing that she is focused on is her little girl being a light for the Lord and the honor that she has to be parents to this little angel. And when I reached out to her for permission to share the pictures and to share their story, she said, thank you so much for reaching out. It is good, it is great to know that our story is reaching so many. We would be honored if you shared our story. God has blessed our lives despite all the challenges, and we want to share his goodness with as many people as we can. Thank you so much. This is walking with the Spirit of God. That no matter what happens... That even when you get your miracle, but right now it's a partial miracle because she still has significant brain delay, that you can still smile and rejoice in the fact that God is going to take your situation and bring glory to his name and salvation to other people through it. Because this story of life is more than just about us. It's about taking us and using us to bring people to the good news of Yeshua. So this may not be your story. Your brother-in-law passing at 37 may not be your story. But you guys each have a story, a life that you are living, and an avenue for God to use you in those situations to bring glory to his name. And the only way that we can do that is when we have the power of the Ruach living inside of us. Because without it, this is devastating. This story, you don't get up and go to Krispy Kremes in the morning. You stay in bed and you say, why, God, do I have a baby that is in this condition? But with the power of God, you can say, I don't understand, but I know that God is good and I know that he is going to use it for the glory of his name. And I am honored to be used by him in this situation. So when you find yourself in prison like Paul was, you're not going to say, why am I in prison? Why was it me? You're going to say, it doesn't matter. God is good and I'm going to bring glory to his name. So when you're 
find yourself in a car accident and months and months and months where your health is not going good, you're going to find a way to say, on my own, this is hopeless and I've been struggling, but I'm going to partner with the Ruach. And anytime somebody says, Lucia, how you're doing? You're going to say, God is good. I am alive. He has sustained me and God is good. And when your marriage is struggling and it's completely hopeless, you're going to say, God is good and he could restore it. I know of a, a family that got divorced after the death of their little boy at seven years old, and I'm on Facebook, and they're back together after a divorce. If God could do that for them, can he not do that for you? But we falter because we're trying to do it in our own strength. So this Shavuot, as we come, it's only a week away, right? Are we next week? It's not about what goes on just here. This is awesome. But it's about reconnecting with the power of the Ruach so that we can take ourselves and bring glory to his name. You know, we're like those cell phones. If you don't plug it in, it's going to die eventually. And right before it dies, what does it say? Warning, low battery. If you have a really cool phone, you can go into battery saving mode. In battery saving mode means you could do basic functions. You can call, you can send texts, but you can't do any of the fancy stuff like look at videos. Some of us are in battery saving mode right now. You're here, but you're just getting the basic functions done. I'm getting up, taking care of the kids, I'm going to work. I'm just surviving, I got the basic down. I'll come to temple, I'll sing. I'll eat a bagel, I'll go home, we're going to karate, we're going to soccer, I have to go to work, I'm going to go take care of my family, I'm going to take care of my mom, I'm going to do this, I'll pray a little bit, check off my devotions. We're doing the basics. Shavuot is about saying we're not going to live in the basics anymore. We're not going to be fruitless, we're not going to be fearful, we're not going to be faithless, we're going to be those that are empowered because there is so much more than the basics going on. We are called to come here and be empowered to go out to the lost and to the dying. That is our calling. But you have to be connected to the person of the Ruach. They had Yeshua right next to them and they failed. The empowerment comes from the person of the Ruach. And I'll close with this. In Reinhard Bonnke's book, he was preaching somewhere where they didn't believe in the power of the Ruach and the person of the Ruach. And when he began preaching, he said, you could see the power fall on people, people being touched by the power of the Ruach and the atmosphere changing, and everything was radically changed. And he said, and I looked up into the crowd, and there were two people standing there, completely untouched, like nothing was going on. And that's where he talks about, are you flammable or are you fireproof? And he goes on to say, you know, in the book of Acts, it says that tongues of fire came down on, on each one of their heads. And he goes on to explain, he goes, somebody in heaven had to count that. And he won for Gary, and he won for Myrna, and he won for Lucia, and he won for Adeline, and he won for Angie, and he won for Georgiana, and, and counted out. But it's up to us to be willing to connect with the person of the Ruach, to be willing to desire that, and so much more beyond a Shavuot service and a prayer, to do it daily, to understand that your life is meant truly to walk with him as your partner, your guide, your counselor, the one who's going to speak to you, the one who puts your antennas up to says, that says you think you're piano shopping, but there's a man here that needs to know the good news. The one that says you may not think that your story means anything, but when you share it, and that word of how God provided for you, it's going to touch this person's heart. And that ripple effect of how it goes on. It's up to us to connect. If you've never received the Ruach, I encourage you, listen to these messages that the rabbis had. It is a life 
transforming experience to walk with the person of the Ruach. And if you have, and you're like me, that sometimes you're just on basic mode, it's time to replug into him, allow him to work in our lives, and watch and see what he truly desires to do through your life and in this place, because it is much more than where we are right now. God is preparing us to be fortified believers, faithful believers, fruitful believers, and fearless believers. Amen. Stand to your feet. Adonai, just bless your name today. And I pray more than anything, Lord, that you would secure in our hearts the truth of the person of the Ruach and how when we connect and partner with him, the life that we are living is much different. I pray that you would transform each of us from where we are and that you would use our lives truly to glorify your name so that we can be believers truly on fire and bringing that fire to other people and setting this world ablaze for you. I bless each one in the name of Yeshua. Amen. There are bagels and coffee upstairs. Please feel free to make your way upstairs. I don't think I'm forgetting any other announcements, but God bless and Shabbat Shalom.